Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we find out about infections and ways to boost our immune system's responses. Now when you get an immune system misfunctioning, it can lead to all kinds of problems. So perhaps gene therapy can be a way to help boost our immune system's responses. Plus, when there's different types of infections, understanding how our body fights back and helping boost that is incredibly important to help save lives. The immune system in the human body has an incredibly important role to play. It basically keeps you safe by making sure that anything else that comes in and tries to take hold, like a virus or an infection, is beaten back and that your body stays healthy. But the problem is, when you are immunodeficient, then you're at severe risk from attack from any of these wayward sources. Especially if you're a small infant or a young child or an elderly person, if your immune system is compromised, then you're especially vulnerable because the rest of your body isn't geared up enough or in a position to really fight back well. You don't have a lot of resilience. So having a well-functioning immune system is incredibly important. But if you suffer from a life-threatening inherited genetic disorder that makes your immune system incredibly weak, such as X-linked severe combined immunodeficiency or X-SCID, then you're not really in a very good position at all. Now, this disease actually impacts infants a lot, and it's caused by, scientists have discovered, a mutation in the IL2RG gene. And infants with this disease are incredibly susceptible to severe infections. And if left untreated, the disease is almost always fatal, usually within the first one or two years of life, because small children are often exposed to all kinds of things, and do get sick and with no immune system or infants with X skid who don't have a very well functioning immune systems are at incredibly high risk of adverse outcomes to say the least. Now normally the way that children with this disease are treated is with transplants of blood forming stem cells. Normally you have to try and find a genetically matched sibling to get this blood formed stem cells but only 20% of such infants have a donor would even be eligible to provide them with such stem cells in the first place and without a matched sibling they have to either receive a transplant from a parent or donor which can help save lives but is only partially restoring the immunity of the small infant afterwards these patients pretty much require lifelong treatment in order to keep their immune system up to scratch so execute is a really devastating out disease and outcome but fortunately researchers funded by the national Institute of Health Science, published in the journal New England Journal of Medicine, uh, some groundbreaking research which provides perhaps a new way forward for these infants, in particular demonstrating the power of genetic therapy, gene therapy. Now this research for this study was conducted at the St. Jude's Children's Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, along with the St. Jude and Benoit Children's Hospital at the University of California, San Francisco, involving researchers Anthony S. Fauci, as well as Harry Malek, the Chief of Genetic Immunotherapy Section at the NAID's Laboratory of Clinical Immunology, and the late Brian Sorrentino, who actually pioneered a lot of work on the study, but unfortunately passed away in 2018 before the study was completed. The whole premise of this trial is actually to give these children with this disease an actual supplement to use gene therapy to boost not only their immune system's functions, but actually give them a healthy functioning IL-2RG gene so that in the future they can develop their own normally functioning immune system rather than relying on treatments that keep having to come back. 
Now, gene therapy seems like a, a crazy and science fiction concept, and to an extent, it is. Now, a lot of the times, a lot of genetic diseases are all about someone carrying with them a gene with a mutation. And that mutation means that it either functions incorrectly or functions in a way that's worse than what it should be doing normally. So how to get rid of that gene? Well, you can't really go into someone's body and cut it out because that doesn't quite work. It's present and it will get recoded and remade. So gene therapy relies on being able to inject into the person a new gene. And they use this with what they call a vector. So you need to have a vector, something that will carry the gene into the body and into the cells themselves. Replace the old gene and put in the new one, the one that's functioning the way that you want it to be. And in that case, people often use viruses, viruses that have the bad parts stripped out of them and the gene that you're trying to put in, put in instead. And this technique works really great because the virus is designed for getting into your cells and injecting something, which makes them a perfect vector. But it's still very difficult, especially to overcome the body's natural defense mechanism. So what did the scientists do in this particular case? Well, first they obtained a blood-forming stem cell sample from the patient's bone marrow. Then they engineered the lentivirus which doesn't actually cause any illnesses normally, and they use it as a carrier, or the vector, as we spoke about earlier. And that vector delivers the normal functioning, the healthily functioning IL-2-RG gene into the cells. These are the stem cells taken from the patient's bone marrow. So these bone marrow stem cells now have them growing inside of them, the healthy IL-2-RG gene, which is great. But they're actually infused back into the patient who has also received a low dosage of chemotherapy medication, a tablet form of chemotherapy, to help give the new stem cells that have been re-injected back into the body the chance to establish themselves into the core of the bone marrow and thus begin producing new blood cells. But the blood cells being produced this time will actually contain the correct functioning IL-2-RG gene. So what the scientists have done, to think about it another way, is they've taken out a small piece of the bone marrow which let's call it this way, like something that's producing, meant to be producing sweet tasting lemonade. But instead of that, it's producing really, really bitter, bitter, too lemony drink. So they take it out and they adjust the mixture outside the body and they work out the ratios to add a bit more sugar, make it a bit more sweet. So now they have a normal lemonade producing machine and they put that back into the body. So now that all the lemonade produced by this body is all sweet tasting. That's effectively what they've done, but instead of doing that with lemonade, they're actually doing that with the bone marrow and the production of blood cells would actually have the correct functioning in them for the immune system. Now, because the immune function is so difficult but important a concept, getting it into the children and correcting it at such an early stage can have life-changing benefits for them. They no longer have to undergo difficult, complex treatments. It can literally not only save their lives, make sure they live past two, which is otherwise a very difficult thing, but they can also do some without having to worry about having to have constant treatment to top up their immune system. Not only did all the participants actually develop their healthy functioning cells, but four of them were able to completely stop intravenous treatment with immunoglobulins, which is basically immune system boosters. And, and three of the four as well actually developed antibody responses to the normal typical childhood vaccinations, which is again means their immune system was functioning exactly as expected. And this is incredibly promising, not for the people, just these people with this terrible disease, but also people who potentially suffer from things like leukemia. This is great news, particularly for parents of these young infants and the infants themselves, but such a technique could apply for other diseases, with, especially around the immune system. 
um, for older children and young adults. Like again, if you get them in early, then you can make real life-changing differences to them and increase their chance of a long and healthy life. So this is some great work published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Now in any kind of battle, you always have to worry about the cost of such actions. Potentially there's always the prospect of collateral damage, and in your immune system there's no exception. When you take a response inside your body to fight back against a particular infection, you need to make sure you don't do more damage to the rest of your body. Sometimes if your immune system is in override, this can lead to all other kinds of diseases as well. Now, listeria is often found as a kind of food poisoning, but for anyone who's pregnant, it can lead to severe issues, potentially miscarriage for the unborn baby. But in general, listeria is more like a food poisoning type illness. But how your body responds to that is particularly interesting. And if they could be responded to in better ways. Now, in general, listeria often is found inside the gastrointestinal tract. And inside your gastrointestinal tract, there's different ways of fighting back. For example, there's the RIP, K3 and MLKL proteins. They have an important job when it comes to hunting down and killing bacteria. And what researchers from North Carolina State University have actually discovered is some pretty interesting ways that these different mechanisms, these proteins, go about protecting your body and fighting back against infection. What they first did, including researcher Kazuhito Sai, the toxicology researcher and associate corresponding author of the paper, they took these human intestinal shells and found ones that were or made ones that were deficient in their RIPK3. So they then took the mice model and tried to see if they could replicate their findings. And what they found was pretty interesting. Well, they found that the protein RIPK3 and the one that protein that works with it, MLKL, were pretty much activated, so turned on by the presence of listeria. Then what this protein goes and does is finds listeria, binds to it, and inhibits listeria from replicating, which shows that the protein itself effectively just stops listeria in its tracks. Then, in the more interesting part of this study, that the researchers showed that by activating RIPK3 and MLK, they bound up the listeria and stopped it from moving and replicating and spreading from infecting the host. But it didn't actually damage the host cells themselves. The MLKL proteins bound themselves to liberate the listeria, stopping it from spreading, but they didn't actually damage the host cell itself, meaning the host cell was fine to recover. The listeria was there, died off, and the host cell recovered to be quite healthy. This is a pretty novel approach, where these proteins are actually working in a two-step method to not only identify the listeria invader, to stop it, and to kill it without actually damaging the host cell that the listeria is invaded into. This is particularly interesting because the, what they're doing is actually introducing cell death to try and starve off the bacteria in the GI tract. And they're all working in tandem to try and keep your body healthy. This would obviously lead to some interesting applications for different antiviral drug development. Whether or not you could adapt the same thing, this hunt and kill and strangle approach, to prevent collateral damage in your immune system for other treatments. And some interesting work out of the North Carolina State University that was recently published in the journal, Journal of Cell Biology.
Now, many of the world's cultures and religions prohibit the eating of undercooked or raw meat or even pig meat. And one of the reasons that we now look back in modern medicine to say that this made sense as an ancient or custom or cultural custom is because that there's often sometimes parasites that live inside these meats, in particular in pork, that can be quite devastating or lead to illness or sickness or death of people in particular, such as the Trichinella spiralis, a roundworm that is the causative agent, the thing that gives you trichinosis. And people can acquire that by eating undercooked or raw meat or particular wild game or pork. Now, how that actually gets into your system and leaves its trace, these nurse cells of these parasites, now what happens when you get one of these worms or parasites can range on the type of infection that you get. But nevertheless, it's not a good time, to say the least. And understanding how this infection gets into place, lodges itself inside your stomach, and how you get from having consumed meat with these nerfs cells of these parasites, and how they hatch, releasing the larva, which bury themselves inside your intestine, and lead to infections is quite interesting to understand. But what's more important is to understand how our immune system responds to these parasitic invaders. Now, typically, researchers have found that immune responses to parasite invaders rely on white blood cells called T-helper 2. They're normally specialised for a really specific job, and that is to eliminate and hunt down gastrointestinal parasites. That's what they do, and they're normally pretty good at it. But researchers from Lancaster University in the UK, including Professors Mark Travis and Richard Grensis, along with Dr Worth- John Worthington from the Department of Biomedical and Life Science, as well as Nicholas Steele, one of the primary authors on the paper, dug into what's actually going on when people get this parasitic infection. What they actually found was quite interesting. Yes, the immune system's T-helper 2 cells spring into action, but they found is that a second set of immune cells actually started to leap at the challenge, and that is the T-helper 17. Now, typically, T-helper 17 is a specialised process or cell that's designed for eliminating fungal infections, sometimes some bacterial infections. Now, they don't arise in all cases, but they are able to identify that TLP17 sometimes springs into action, and they were key in maintaining the intestinal muscle contractions, which are needed to flush out the worms. And this all has been published in the journal PLOS Pathogens. Now, mice in the trial that they performed that didn't have these T-helper 17 cells, whilst the T-helper 2 cells could fight and stave off that that infection for the parasite, without having the T-helper 17 cells, they weren't able to flush out the parasite from the intestinal contractions. Which means that it's a one-two punch. The T-helper 2 cells sort of take out the gastrointestinal worm in the part of the infection stage. But the 17 ones actually help flush it out of of the system which helps us understand what's going on in our immune system. Normally what happens with our immune cells is that one cell will say, hey, I got this, and get to work. So you don't expect to see multiple of the cells working at the same time. It's sort of one tool for one job. But in this case, for this type of infection, a parasitic worm, you kind of need all hands on deck. One to actually fight the thing, and another to get rid of it. And that's what these two cells are actually doing, which is quite interesting to analyse and study. Now, whilst this infection is actually now quite rare in developed countries, it's still in other areas of the world quite prevalent. For the many million people who suffer from intestinal and parasitic infections, understanding how 
your immune system is responding to it and trying to fight back means that we can find new ways to boost that process and help them recover efficiently. So some great work published out of the University of Lancaster. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we found out about how our immune system responds in times of crisis and ways we can use gene therapy to help provide targeted treatments to help boost people's immune systems. That and how some infections work. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.